Hey, it's Greg Brady. Welcome to the Toronto Today podcast for Friday, December the 3rd. We try and lighten it up somewhat on Friday, but uh, you can't do it all the time. We talk a little bit about Omicron, what we know and what we've learned and what's been sort of pushed aside until further notice, until we have more information. Okay, there's a lot of myths and misinformation out there. I don't need to tell you that. So we try and cut right to the truth of the matter with some of our guests today and some of our thoughts as well. We'll talk to the uh, Globe and Mail Africa correspondent to find out exactly what the feeling is down on the ground in South Africa a week after the world was kind of shaken a little bit. I think it's back on its access access now, but we've talked a lot about travel restrictions and how it's sort of become a self-fulfilling prophecy that people may be hesitant to travel, not for fear of the virus, but for fear of more restrictions, restrictions that we were utilizing a year ago, potentially when there was no Uh, no vaccinations whatsoever available to any of us. We'll get there and do lots more on Toronto Today. It starts now. As we said in our prior half hour, um, there's going to be a lot of speculation, a lot of discussion. What a week it's been in terms of understanding where we're going. I think we've ridden more of an emotional roller coaster with the idea of the coronavirus and the new variant. Then we have an ages. I'm trying to remember when the last time it was. Maybe it was it was us just waiting for that first vaccine shot. Um, and I'm not. I, I didn't have scenarios in the fall where I was stressing out over what schools were going to be or what Delta was going to become. Um, I sure. I would say in the first six months of COVID, I was missing a lot and and sort of really trying to understand. Um, like by reading, listening, knowing who I could count on, knowing who I couldn't, um, you know, you, you start you start to realize where it's going and how to how to navigate. You get behind the wheel. We're all our independent drivers. We're all in a way our own chief medical officers of health. We are. Um, and we, we've got to teach people to do. We got to teach our elderly parents to do that. And we teach our kids to do that. And we say you got to go and, and you know, you got to live your life. But you got to use some guidance and smarts along the way. We'd say that about anything. We'd say that if we were sending a kid away to summer camp. We would say that if we were going, you know, backpacking across Europe. We'd say all those particular things. So I see the news yesterday about new COVID measures in the United States in the face of the Omicron variant. And uh, it's caused anxiety. And anxiety breeds anxiety. I always feel like confidence breeds confidence. And I always think anxiety breeds anxiety. And you can tell already we were we were probably we were probably, um, you know, to 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 be blunt, we were probably heading in that direction anyway. It's sort of, it's sort of like when we talk about things that covid has created. Well, the hot the idea of a hybrid workplace. Well, that was probably coming regardless of where we were, where we were going with covid. The idea of, you know, parents kind of getting in other parents grill about how they parent. That's not a great thing. I'd never, ever profess to tell you how to take care of your own kid. Um, I would step in if something I saw something wrong in a grocery store. If a kid was getting slapped, I think you step in at a certain point in time. It, but it's tricky, right? It's not your territory. We sort of have lost the plot with that. Like, we do realize that. I hope we realize that to some extent, that we've lost the plot on that kind of stuff. So the biggest thing I think people are asking and this came up last week, and it's a great question. You think about where you were last week at this time, and what do we know now that we didn't know then? Let's parse, let's parse that out a little bit and break that down. Well, here's what we know. We seem to know that o- Omicron is more transmissible than Delta. It seems like it is that. It is not causing a lot of the severe outcomes people were necessarily stressed about. But here's the other thing that I think we got to look at and understand Um, because scientists are racing. They're sprinting to figure a lot of this out. But the one thing that seems obvious is we don't know what it does in a highly vaccinated population. We told you last week at this time, South Africa was fully vaccinated to 32 percent. They wanted to be at 70 by the end of the calendar year, and they're not getting there. And is some of that, um, you know, the throttling down of of vaccines in the first place and not getting, um, you know, people in on that continent, the proper amount and us hoarding it for ourselves. Yeah, it is. It's not a great feeling when you look in the mirror and know you've been collectively greedy. But I also advocate for, well, you do have to look out for number one sometimes. It's a really fine line to balance. It's an incredibly fine line to balance. 
And why do we want, because we don't do this with food and we don't do this with money. We try and give here and give there, but we know we can't create, you know, an, an equitable lifespan for the billions, uh, an equitable life in general for the billions of people that live on this planet. We know that. So we walk accordingly and we, you know, we take what is ours. Some people are more generous than others. And that's just sort of how we live. And I'm not 100% sure that that needs a, uh, a mea culpa or an apology, but it's an explanation for why South Africa and especially South Africa is one of the richest countries in Africa with uh, Johannesburg and Lesotho. Those are, those are beautiful cities. They had the World Cup of Soccer there 11 years ago. You can't do that in a, in a dirt poor country. You can't have the World Cup of Soccer there in a dirt poor country. So there's beautiful areas and there's not beautiful areas. Many of the other African countries, however, struggle more. And they're at single digits for vaccine uptake. Is some of that being suspicious or hesitant and uh, absolutely refusing uh, what we offer them from the Western world? You bet. Absolutely. Like that's not getting talked about enough because we want to have empathy. This doesn't this is not totally unrelated to how COVID began. And we looked at China and we thought, hmm. There may be some nefarious things going on in a Wuhan coronavirus lab. But should we say that and create a uh, uncomfortable situation for either the Chinese people in China or Chinese Canadians, Chinese Americans, people of Chinese descent that live in Europe? We really didn't know what to do. There was great debate about whether you know, closing borders would be seen as xenophobic or it would just be smart and practical. And there was a really fine line between those two things, okay? So we've been a, a little bit about emotional sensitivity this week, and some of it's valid, and some of it isn't, because we can't make people take vaccines. I keep hearing that. I keep hearing, well, we'll just make everybody take. <laughs> I was on the phone the other night with somebody uh, talking that I hadn't talked to in a while, and they're like, we just got to make everybody take the vaccine. I'm like, you can't do that. You can mandate this and mandate that, and you can make this a requirement. And of course, it's not their right to potentially get other people sick. And I, I will hear from a couple people via text here, there, and everywhere saying, hey, fully vaccinated people can test positive. Yeah, I know that. It was always going to be like that. It's too bad a lot of people misunderstood that. And you're going to see this with kids as well. You're going to see fully vaccinated kids pop positive for a test. And it doesn't mean anything to me at the end of the day. It means so very little that we're still testing and quarantining and uh, and and almost judging fully vaccinated asymptomatic people because the damn Delta thing is everywhere. It's everywhere. And we've misunderstood that. We've absolutely lost the plot in terms of uh, banishing and isolating um, people who indeed have that particular have that particular virus. That's a big problem to me. On Good Morning Britain today, you, you know, last week we were like, oh, should we do this? Should we do that? And I played you audio on Monday. I was incensed by an interview MP Carolyn Bennett gave where she said, well, I'm, I've canceled all my holiday plans. I'm like, today, just in the last six hours, based on a variant that you don't know very much about. She's the associate health minister for our entire country. But again, everybody has to walk their own path. I don't think a 70-year-old woman who's probably more sedentary than not, that's my plan when I'm 70, Okay, so I don't know that that's great advice for people who are 25. I don't know that that's great advice for people who are 48. Why would it be? On Good Morning Britain this morning, Conservative Party Chairman Oliver Dowden says people should, you know, do the thing that's on that slogan on your coffee mug or your teapot or your T-shirt. Keep calm and carry on. Uh, yes, look, I appreciate uh, people's uh, concerns about this uh, new variant and what they should do in response to it. And I just to say to your viewers, I think that we have uh, agreed a balanced and proportionate set of measures. So we've, we're controlling people coming into the country, particularly from Southern Africa. We've tightened up a bit on the mask wearing. But beyond that, I would say to people, do carry on with your plans. Keep calm and carry on with your, your Christmas plans. There's no need to alter those. We are continuing to examine this new variant currently at Porton Down. Well, the, the, the Prime Minister has been clear, and I'm, I'm happy to, to restate again this morning, that beyond the existing rules that we've set out, so namely in relation to travel, particularly from high-risk countries, and in relation to mask wearing, we think that at this stage, that is the appropriate balance. Now, this Christmas is so different than last year. I can't help anybody who feels worse about this scenario. I'm a little bit downtrodden because we're still here. 
but we're in such a better place. Think about everything you've done in the last, let's, let's, let's even break it down to six weeks. Think about everything you've done in the last six weeks that you didn't do in any of the six weeks of 2020 after COVID came to us. We've got vaccines. There's not even a close second place, not even a close second place, but I also distance, but I also have a mask. Those aren't even close vaccine or not. That just seems to be the, what makes you safe and what makes you not safe. And again, I can't keep somebody from not hiding away if they've got concerns based on assumptions, based on speculation made by scientists who are stepping in front of microphones who haven't always got everything right. No one has. But what I what I can do is say, you know, walk your own path here. You, I don't think you can have a government official say Christmas is on Christmas is off. You can't do that when everything else. You can't do that when there's a Raptors game last night. And there's concerts tonight in the city. And you can't do that when in, in the UK, right? Can you do that when 70,000 people were at a football game, uh, soccer game at Old Trafford yesterday? You can't do that. You can't have 70,000 people watching Man United Arsenal yesterday and then tell people not to have a Christmas party with fully vaccinated people. You do get how that sounds. Don't have it if you don't want to. But we've been like that with anything. Some people have... Absolutely a, a hesitancy to do this, do that. They don't want to jump. I'll never jump out of an airplane. I know that, but I'm not going to stop you, hopefully with a parachute, but I'm not going to stop you from scuba diving, going into a shark cage, jumping out of an airplane, um, you know, hella skiing, whatever, whatever. But COVID's no different. It's no different. And you you can have this this time around where you listen to government officials and public health and they say, this is banned, this is not. They're telling us what's open or closed. What they can't do is tell you what to do and what not to do in the middle part of that. Uh, Jonathan Blunden had this to say really quick in a story Eric Sorensen put up on Global News about the variant. And it's, yeah, be patient. Wait this out. That's what we're doing. We know that antibodies wane over time. And by boosting uh, people's immune responses to get those antibody levels back up is another measure to keep people safe from uh, developing severe infections. Yeah, exactly that. The antibodies that you've built up, the vaccines that you've built up, they all factor in. Maybe you have thoughts on this. Maybe you agree that we will walk our own path. Maybe you're wrong and you're still listening. Maybe you're still listening to public health. I know they have a job to do. I get that. I'm not telling them to be quiet or try to muzzle them, but you're going to do what you're going to do at this point. I mean, isn't that that seems the most obvious thing on the planet. That seems the most clear and distinct thing I could possibly say to you this morning. Someone I think is very kind and organized and has been a great influence on people uh, during this run of COVID. It's been so fun. Um, Dr. Samantha Yumi, neuroscientist and science communicator. We call her Science Sam. It is great to have you on. Uh, it's been a while. Thanks for making the time. But I see I see you. I hear you out there. You're, you're doing the good work. Thank you so much, Greg, and thanks for having me back. Total pleasure. Are you kidding? Um, now, kids getting vaccinated, it's hard to believe, right? Like, we were two, two um, I'd say two Thursdays ago, or just last Thursday, eight days ago, we're like, okay, we're going to vaccinate five to 11-year-olds, and, and if people want to travel across the border, we're going to drop this annoying PCR test that really isn't based in science, this and that, the other thing, because you could have it and then do all this stuff in the States and show it on the way back, and it, it won't mean anything. And then last week, right? Last Friday. Tell me what Friday was like for you with tons of ups and downs and the media coverage and everything when you first heard about this new variant. When I first heard about it, we've heard about variants before. So I was like, okay, okay, let's let's just hold on a second. Let me see what the people I trust, the geneticists, virologists that you know I've been following for two years, what are they saying? Uh, so at first I was like, it's going to be fine. Let's just wait and see. Uh, but then I started seeing some of them being very worried, too, and started looking into it more. And throughout the course of that, even just that one day, um, still wasn't panicked because it is very, very early. Uh, ultimate feeling ended up being gratitude that we were alerted so early. But then, of course, that makes it the most frustrating <laughs> because you're on alert and you're not really sure if you need to be or not and just how bad it's going to be. But that's really ultimately a good thing that we were told about it so early before we even had definitive information. I think so. I agree with that. Exactly. Uh, and it's not like anything was being covered up. We started talking about it. We started, you know, uh, realizing what it could be. And we're still in the learning stage. There's some encouraging signs. And I I'd say the really difficult thing. 
um, is is guessing guessing at what it will be like in as fully vaccinated community and society as us. South Africa, unfortunately, is around 30 percent fully vaccinated. The province where uh, Omicron broke out. Um, and it's obviously all around the world. It isn't just in these African nations. That's been well documented. Um, is the province where it broke out is around twenty one percent. So when you when it comes to Ontario, I think those are the big questions, right? Will immune protection from vaccination hold up against it? And and how contagious is it? And we don't know those two answers yet. Yeah, and and one thing to keep in mind too, Canada is unique in the way that we rolled out our vaccines. We were all annoyed about it earlier this year, but the fact that we had that longer spacing between doses, um, it has ended up to be advantageous. Served as well, didn't it? Yeah, it did. At the same time, I can tell you, like, no variant so far has rendered our vaccine protection useless. Mm -hmm. Some of them chip away a little bit, um, but the extent to which this one will is what we're still trying to figure out. So it's important for scientists to be speculating and public health people to be making hypotheses and making quick actions and decisions. But for most of us, we can kind of hang tight and don't need to pay attention to every wild speculation. I know you've been, I, I, I'm so, um, you know, encouraged that you do this. And I want to let the audience know you're doing this. You're do, you'll do like webinars and, and things with school classes. You even did one with tech, with Texas kids earlier this week. That must make you feel amazing to, to have that outreach and, and people are relying on you. You're making it interesting and, and, uh, and educational at the same time for these kids just to reach out to you. Cause we didn't go through this as kids. We didn't go through anything, anything like this as we cannot get inside their heads and know how all this is for them. Exactly. And the thing for me is that I just want people to know that we don't need to take on every concern and every single worry. It is some people's specific job to do that. (laughs) So I think at this stage, when we've been dealing with this for so long, it's helpful to just take a step back and be like, okay, thank goodness. And Dr. Angela Rasmussen is looking at this. Mm -hmm. She's a virologist trained to do this. And I'm not. (laughs) So let me see what she says once she has more information, you know, like that kind of, um, I think just realizing that we can let other people take on some of it and, and letting kids know that too. And that we have tools through science, I think brings them comfort and inspires them too. Well, I mentioned confidence earlier on and I'm, I've tried to, uh, I think the one thing that we've tried to do in our household with two teenage boys is orchestrate a confident household and even in those moments you can imagine over 22 months of parenting and this and that and the other thing and even um i can't get away from COVID in my job i can't i can do less of it some days more of it other days but it's but it's there so i can't i can't turn it off and on but you got to project that image of of confidence and then we got this for for kids and i think i think parents that are getting their kids vaccinated are encouraging i'm seeing more encouraging concepts of you're doing this to help others you're doing this to uh to help protect grandma you're not necessarily make them making them afraid for themselves and because that's the wrong thing to do for kids is be panicked as a parent you're telling them what it does for the greater good that to me is really encouraging and you and you've sent that message out as well yeah it is helpful for them but at the same time letting kids feel empowered that they can make a difference and contribute i think they really appreciate that uh, and and kids are honestly great. Like they they don't they understand. I have the kids that I've talked to have just been like, yeah, let's just get it over with. You ask me, have any other questions? And they're like, no. <laughs> they 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 get it at this point. They've been working hard. They've been masking, and I think they're happy to be able to uh, play a role in this now. And I'm really proud yeah. of kids in Canada who stepped up that way. Science Sam is with us, Doctor Samantha Yamin. Um, this is not meant to be a politically charged question, but I know. <laughs> I, well, you laugh. I know maybe it will. Maybe I'll intend it as a political charge question on a Friday. No, I won't. But um, you've taught you and I've talked at a couple conversations on the air about reaching the hesitant, reaching the unvaccinated. Is it is it harder now that it's December? Is it harder now than it was in April and May to either, to be honest, have patience or be encouraging to people who are very adamant about about their desire and and uh, aggressive, aggressive concept of not getting vaccinated that feels like harder to break through to them now than it was in the spring is it not i think a lot of people are frustrated and a lot of things have been said and there's a lot of tension and and we're all just at our we're all just frustrated and angry so that (laughs) certainly makes it hard i will say for me personally um but it it is very personal because I, i have people in my life uh that i really deeply care about who are really against the vaccine. So for me, I'm always thinking of them, whoever I'm talking to. 
and, and always just thinking, you know, ultimately I care for these people. And I, I, you know, if you talked about confidence yeah. so far, the vaccines in Ontario have prevented over 180,000 cases in those 18 plus and over 11,000 severe outcomes like hospitalization and death. So for me, yes, I'm frustrated, but I'm also concerned. And so I know that that means I have to like keep trying, even though we're so burnt out. And we said shared responsibility. That's my job as a communicator to take that on for others out there who are just at their wits end. Yeah. I, I, I hear that. And, and yeah, I, I think measured and calm and database is how if you've if people have done that in the last week, um, I think they're probably in a better mental health place than they are with with uh, the, all the roller coaster of reacting to this. This is not going to be anything. Oh, my God, this is going to be 20 times worse than Delta. We don't have a clue. We don't have a clue about that stuff right now. We, we would tell we would tell you if we did. We don't. Yeah, exactly. And just being just being measured and, and not needing to get in. I think mm. right now, like a lot of people are like, oh, I heard this and this and this, and they're throwing numbers at each other. That's never really a productive conversation. Uh, instead, when you can take a, a step back and focus on like, what's our common ground? We both want you to be healthy. Okay, cool. Now let's start talking at, from that point. Yeah. Brilliant, grounded stuff uh, from Science Sam, Dr. Samantha Yamin. Great to have you on the show as always uh, and keep doing what you're doing. It's important. And, and uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Fatigue burned out, but, but let's keep at this. We got this. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. You got it. A great pleasure. Erica Eiffel uh, joins me from the uh, Hill Times. We played your song coming in. I hope I you know. spotted that. Remembered. Remembered. I never forget. I never forget a song. I know we're in on we're in on on Vogue. We're in on uh, some Duran Duran. We're in on Tina Turner. I don't remember what we thought about Rick Astley, but I, I remember telling you that I thought he was black for three months. But who didn't? That's not yeah, everybody no, did. Like who didn't? We didn't see the video, and then we're like, "Oh my God, you're the pastiest white guy I've ever seen in my life. You're whiter than I. You're whiter than Larry Bird. You're whiter than me." You know, there will always be um, some white people that are revered in the black community. I'm not sure if. I don't think Ashley like comes to that, but I'm just saying that there was a time when some of us thought that he was black. Yes, that's right. What about now? We didn't think he was, but what? I always feel like George Michael's got great respect. Does he? Does he? With or is that? Is he a bit of a poser? Was I he? Think, like, how do we feel about know. that? I think I like. I really. He's done some. Oh my gosh! There's a song from the 1980s with him and Aretha Franklin. I know. Uh, yeah, I knew you were waiting for me. Yeah, that one. That's right. Another favorite song of mine. Oh, you like that? I, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that song. It's on my. It's on my playlist. Were you in nineteen? See, I, I was uh, like a young teen in nineteen eighty-seven. But I'm like, I don't know um, if there's sexual chemistry with George Michael and Aretha Franklin. I don't know. My spidey sense is tingling that there isn't. But it's still a good song. I'm okay with it. I'm good with it. I didn't think there was chemistry with Linda Ronstadt and Aaron Neville either when they did that song from that kid, but I don't know. I never, I never know how people feel about that, that stuff. Was, yes, yes. I felt oh it with Lionel Richie and Diana Ross with Endless Love. See, we could talk about this for 20. That's all I want to do, really. The, the, the world's just oh. too scary right now. We'll just talk about you who had chemistry during duets. Man, it's impressive. It's impressive. It's one of my many, many, many uh, uh, skills, I suppose. Um, Dallas Cowboys win last night. That didn't make you feel good? Of course, of course. I'm just, I'm not celebrating too much because let's, let's get some consistency in. Yeah, but you got, you got, you're going to walk through that division. Who most worries you? Is it that, is it anti-vaxxer Aaron Rodgers or is it make America great again, Tom Brady? I mean, well, how do you choose between those two? I don't know. Who would you rather beat? Know. Who would you rather beat the pants off of in the NFC title game? That's the better question. Green I mean, Bay, Green Bay or Tampa Bay? Spanking Tom Brady, like come on. <laughs> Gate Maga Tom Brady, of course. Yeah, I think I, I I'm sure I'm sure Jerry Jones didn't vote for Joe Biden though. I think we're <laughs> so we all we've all got our crosses to bear. Let's be honest here. I mean, Jer, do you think Jerry Jones is voting for uh, Kamala in 2024? I can assure you that he isn't. <laughs> Why are you killing me on a I just, because I'm, 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 I'm here to call. We get to live. I know. You're right. By the way, I, I brought it up at the start of the show. I hope you saw last night, everything happens for a reason. The greatest blowout in NBA history, if people are just tuning in, check out this score. Memphis 152, Oklahoma City 79. The biggest blowout. A team has never lost by that many points wow. in an NBA game. Amazing, eh? Hmm. 
And just a few years ago, Oklahoma City was something. They were really good. I know. Yeah. Well, well look, think about it. KD there, Serge Ibaka. Uh, you know, Westbrook still there at the time. Absolutely. All those guys. All right. This is, um, let's, let's, uh, let's take it south of the border. Really disturbing. I mean, you know, I watch, uh, I watched the coverage of the Supreme court on Wednesday. I watched uh, a lot of MSNBC that night. And, uh, I, uh, you know, sometimes we're not, we're not perfect. You point that out. Oftentimes we are far from perfect. We got work to do. I, but we never have those issues, do we? I, I don't even know what to think about America. You and I both live there, and, and it's it's awful what, what's going on right. I never thought I'd see it. I really didn't. No matter what happened, I never thought I'd see it get to this point where Roe v. Wade is basically balled up in a piece of paper and thrown in the garbage. Well, they, they got it the voting rights act. What do you think was happening? <laughs> I mean, this is my problem with liberal white people, okay? Let's go. What is it? It, it is... The black women always tell you all, hey, there's a fire. Look, there's smoke. Look at that smoke. You guys are like, eh, the fire department will put it out. It's fine. You know what I mean? I the do. That this was coming and especially coming for at least five years. Okay. I mean, the Republicans are, I think, let me zoom out a little bit. Yeah. I think this will take care of the whole conversion therapy thing, too. <clears throat> So let me zoom out and just say that since ever since the civil rights era in the 1960s, the 1970s, the anti-war protests, et cetera, et cetera, ever since then, ever since that, that post part has become about the rise of white Christian power. Okay. And so what you're seeing is a people who basically want to remake the trajectory of North America, really. Because if you think they're just operating in the States, then you haven't been paying attention. Because a lot of those LGBTQ bands that are happening in Africa have been funded and um, lobbied by white Christian evangelicals in America. So they want to remake America because the trajectory that America is going in, you have, number one, uh, I think in 2016, you had the first time brown babies more brown babies were born in america than white ones the abortion thing yeah about the white christian family it's not about anything else and what happens is is that once you get sort of um these like fascism plus religion then you have a big friggin problem obviously i wasn't going to say friggin but um the idea is that this, that Turtle Island is somehow belongs to white Christian and male-dominated families, right? So when you think of family values and all that, that's who they're talking about. And, this, and why it intersects with fascists is because it intersects with this great white replacement theory, right? And so the whole idea about our... Uh, uh, Abortion, Alberta. Abortion. Yeah, is that it is literally to force white women to have more babies. That's what it's about. If you say, I know Canadians will be like, "Who thank God we have abortion rights?" We don't. We actually don't. It's not enshrined in law. It's not, but nobody. But it's it's Hold that on. un it's that Hold unwritten on. rule. No one's wait, wait. But so is listen. Unwritten rules are no better than written rules, okay? The other thing, too, is that we also have a de facto ban because there's no access. There's, le- uh, there's less access. Can we say that? Like, it, it's, here's, there's very little access. But here's what I saw in the States. Here's what I saw in the States. Let me lay this out, and you tell me if you agree. Because abortion got, it became officially legal with Roe v. Wade on a federal level. Okay, fine. But little by little, the states that didn't like it, the, the, the states that didn't like it chipped away and they made it more in they made it more inaccessible to people of color they made it more inaccessible yeah. to poor people to immigrants yeah. younger people so you got you got a really tough you got a tough decision to make any you got a tough decision to make anyway a traumatic decision to make anyway regardless of of if you live in a four hundred thousand dollar mansion it's a difficult decision who would deny that but they made it harder for people and now the idea of you got to get a plane ticket and fly to another state to go get one. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Smollett. What? I mean, he's, uh, uh, I was like, I was like, who, 
I know. Well, Chris Rock started calling him Jesse. He's like, you lost the respect enough for me to call you you Jesse. I, the U turned to an E. Do you buy? So did he carry out? If you like, you're not even on the jury. If you and I were on the jury, did he ask two guys, two brothers, to attack him in a fake racist anti-gay attack? Would you, uh, knowing what you think you know, would you convict him of organizing this? Um. I, I don't, I, this, this, this whole story is very strange. To me. <laughs> I mean, it is so strange. And you know what the thing is? I'm like, bro, you had it. You were good. Like all you had to do is sit down and eat your food. You're on empire. You're on empire. You're Think on how empire. many actors want to be on empire. Exactly. Your sister is a, like, is, is on uh, Lovecraft County. Okay. Like, so the small lets are actually, um, quite a prominent black acting family in the United States. Yeah. And so that's the other thing why it was so weird. I'm like, bro, you got, you, you, you're fine. You're fine. You know? You're, te- you're telling me you think he's guilty. That's what you're telling me. I don't know. You are. He made, he made it. He thought, you know, this is no problem. I can I can make it look like MAGA, MAGA supporters attacked me. Just, you know, a little bruise in the I ribs. Mean, don't mess hard. Don't mess my pretty face up too much. I, I mean, it's not hard. Like, it's not difficult. No. That could happen. That's the whole thing. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the takeaway. I, I think. It's not really hard. The takeaway is these guys only got $3,500. I'm asking for more than that. I, like, that's. that's it? They got seventeen fifty each. It probably in 10s and 20s. Where You can't spend all that. You can't even, you can't rent a car for that for a month, let alone buy a car. All Give right. me a car. You're an actor. Oh. Yeah. To have better negotiating skills. Gotta have it. You gotta have it. Uh, you can uh, read her on uh, the Hill Times, Erica Eiffel. Thanks very much. Okay. Bye, Greg. Goodbye. Ben Rothenberg made the point that Steve Simons, the WTA president, made a huge step forward, kind of a bold step forward. There's easy calls to make sometimes for commissioners. There really are, but made a bold step in saying we're out of China, maybe at the cost of millions of dollars uh, to his WTA players. And the players were behind this. Here's what he said yesterday. I think this is a unique moment and a very defining moment for him. I don't think, honestly, there had been sort of challenges like this that he had risen to before just there also hadn't been sort of the stakes presented i think this was a very unique situation they had with a player making these sort of accusations against a government official uh very unique situation and she wasn't honestly even a very active player she hadn't played in more than a year so arguably a former player but or an active player at least but steve simon really stood by her and advocated for her and really made this a, a defining moment for himself and really rose to the occasion he did gutsy stuff. The ATP put out a statement yesterday that said, we're going to watch, we're going to monitor. And they, and they got, look, they got criticized heavily for it. And there are people like, why don't you do what the WTA does? Um, but it's not that you got to have courage. There's layups. I remember Adam Silver became NBA commissioner maybe months before this controversy, oh, was more than a controversy with uh, Clippers owner uh, Donald Sterling at the time. They had all those, remember those racist tapes with his girlfriend? He's like, I don't want you hanging around basketball players and this and that. And uh, and you're like, that's an easy one. Like, it's easy to ban Do- an 84-year-old guy who most people thought was a just a jerk anyway. That's an easy call because the players don't want him. The coach doesn't want to work. Let's sell the franchise. And they did. But that's an easy call for Adam Silver, okay? That's a tough call for Steve Simon to make uh, two days ago, and he did it anyway. I want to bring on uh, Sabrina uh, Razak, uh, joining us, uh, PhD candidate, faculty of kinesiology and phys ed at U of T. We like talking sports with her. She was on a couple weeks ago, and she's back now. It's great to have you on, Sabrina. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Totally. What, what was your reaction two days ago? I think this story had sort of died down. We were still asking questions about uh, Peng Shui and wondering where she was. There was a bit of a sham video interview with uh, IOC president. And then we're, we're still like, we're still not sure, given that she's in China, if she's doing everything of her own free will. And the WTA just snaps the finger two days ago and says, we're out. Yeah, I think it is very important that they they do that. There's still a lot of speculation of of everything that's going on. And the WTA was founded historically from nine women who gave a dollar to form this organization because of the blatant sexism they were receiving on the professional tour. So the aspect of that historical legacy really then 
you know, gives way to this type of position being honored and being supported by the players. I think you're right, and I th- I think yesterday I noticed, uh, you know, Billie Jean King, who's just just an just an icon uh, for you know human rights, civil rights. She even weighed in on on the terrible things happening uh, with you know the Supreme Court and abortion legislation yesterday. So she's everywhere. Billie Jean King was adamant that this was the right move. Martina Navratilova. Those two are actually in, at at odds right now about the inclusion of of trans athletes in sports period. So they don't agree on everything, but they all agreed on this and said this is just universally something we we don't we, we wouldn't we wouldn't feel good at night if the WTA just kept taking China's money and uh and and advocated for something different. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to think about tennis, female tennis players are markedly paid a lot more than any other female sport. So you mm-hmm. have like you know, the highest grossing athletes Female athletes, Naomi Osaka made around $56 million last year, and Serena Williams, $35 million. But everyone else on, on that list is single digits in the millions. So the yielding power of women's tennis is, is not one to be ignored. So by them putting out a statement, it's going to reverberate across the sporting community and and beyond. Sabrina uh, Razek, our guest on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. What is it that clicks with you? I've always loved tennis. So I, let me ask you, you bring that up and I think it's really intriguing. What is it that clicks about tennis specifically that makes that work? Yes, there's there's growth in there's growth in every women's sport, clearly. And and they're starting from um, more of an uphill slog than than a lot of men's sports. Of course they are. So the WNBA has been around 24 years now. Um, the uh, you know, uh, the women's soccer league has really come and, and women's World Cup. It's one of my favorite events next summer. It's one of my favorite events to watch. I'll, I'll dig into all of those games. But women's tennis, as you note, they've made icons. They, they've made icons, maybe more so than any other individual or team sport. What works and what clicks about women's tennis that that makes it just far more successful right now? Well, the foresight of Billie Jean King and establishing the WTA was is is the reason back in the 70s if you establish that organization you demand for you know acquiring equal pay acquiring equal uh coverage on on television and all of those um you know much needed rules and regulations to shift then you have you know decades of fighting for equality and then tennis is an acceptable feminized women's sport that's also a big difference Seeing, you know, the aesthetics of tennis, we all know with Anna Kornikova, she never won a tournament, but she was the most photographed tennis player during her time. We know that plays into the uh, attractability of the sport as well. So that combination will give rise to a lot of these tennis players who are acceptable athletes um, in the eyes of, of many in relation to other sports where they're seen as more masculine, therefore, unfortunately, not as accepted. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, because I, I thought about it and I remember saying uh, my wife's covered a lot of tennis and, and women's sports period for the Globe. And when we were watching the um, you were probably watching God, all of us were that, the Raducanu uh, Layla Fernandez final right the, at the U.S. Mm-hmm. Open on that Saturday afternoon we were talking about that saying if they a it'd be great if they were both rivals because i think i always think you need a rival you don't necessarily need you know good versus evil but rivalries are what navratilova and chris everett had this phenomenal rivalry when i was kids and you didn't want to miss those matches they were a little bit like like fetter and adult but if these two you know go through the same career path it'd be interesting to see how they're marketed right because i think we look at at emma raducanu and say She's got everything. Like she's 19. She's born in Canada. The Brits love her. Uh, the, the, mm-hmm. the you know in the UK they've never had a female player since Virginia Wade in the early 70s. So it's been a half century. But to your point, that's really interesting because I think Serena and Venus to get you know th- they were marketed originally as you know the sisters and this and that. And then you're like, oh, oh no, it's more than just this story. It's that they're going to be two of the greatest women's players ever. And then you, you just you can't ignore it. Endorsements. Serena was always upset sometimes when Maria Sharapova would make more in terms of endorsements. But once Maria Sharapova wasn't as good anymore and Serena kept winning, that changed. Yeah, it did change. It, t- it took a long time, though. Yeah. Again, if, if, if you know, Maria Sharapova, she aesthetically as well, and the femininity that she's aligned with is much different than Serena as well. So the, the grind that Serena had to, to do in order to get there, it had to be on the court. 
uh, as well, too, right? Where others, like Kornikova, didn't have to be as successful, but still got that attention and the money. She was, I, I will tell you, I think she was a pretty good player. I, I think injuries, <laughs> like, I, I, she uh, was a she got, good player. However, in terms of winning tournaments, she never won one. She never won a well. She never won a. Um, she never won a, a Grand Slam. She won, yes. yeah, yes. And, and was a, a was a top ten player. But I hate that. You know, you, not you're saying you're not saying it, but I I always couldn't stand that even about Jeannie Bouchard and people exactly. write everybody like you know she doesn't do well and all of a sudden it doesn't go right and it's like oh you're more worried about Instagram and I'm like have you seen some of the men on social media who just can't stop and and it's relentless and we don't question whether they fell apart or they couldn't maintain a certain level of success because they happen to tweet or they're on Instagram. We never say that about male players. I, I always no. thought the genie criticism was really unfair. And also they're policed on what they wear, right? So, you know, a reporter asked Jeannie Bouchard to do a twirl. And so all of these things then contribute to, you know, the unequal treatment that Billie Jean King has fought for and continues to. Now, you, now you remember, I'm not, you remember that was a female host that asked her to do it right in Australia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I had to be sure. I had to be sure. Now, wh- this ATP response, what, it, what did it mean to you that they are sort of weighing their options and taking their time on this? Um, it's very possible that they join together with the WTA, but right now there's a little bit of a, of a divide here. What's your thought on it? Well, I think um, taking time to figure out exactly what's going on because there's still so many unknowns with this. Mm-hmm. You know, and with this incident, it's all of uh, has what's happened. She put out a statement, and Thomas Box recently just said he spoke to her again. We have the upcoming Winter Olympics, and there's a lot of pressure on the IOC to to get things right and in order, which is seemingly impossible with all everything that's going on. So, taking the time with it, I'm not really scrutinizing that because we don't really know everything that's going on, and we can't really prove it. And the WTA is like, you know, we have to talk, we want to talk to ourselves, which I commend them for doing that and, and taking a, a strong position on it. And, and the ATP kind of waiting and, and seeing what's happening. I think that for now, too, um, they, they might not have a lot of time to make a decision, um, but I understand it. I think you make a phenomenal point because I'm not sure, um, I mean, I watched, yeah, the, the, the video of that and then I saw... Uh, Dick Pound uh, get interviewed by Christian Amanpour, and I thought Dick Pound was just just way out there, way out of line, just shilling for the IOC, just for not even being practical about where she might be. But until, unless she like left China, I don't know what would be good enough for. It wasn't good enough for me, but I don't know what would be good enough, and how we wouldn't think. Is there somebody standing in the room, you know, guiding yeah, her? Is she reading off? I don't know what we need to do now. And then how do we ensure that even a phone call too? how do we yeah. ensure that the safety we can ensure her safety? We, we really, I don't know what steps can be taken to do that unless you send like a team over and you know, it's, 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 you know, there's a lot that would have to happen. So I, I understand um, the ambig- ambiguity. Hugely show. Hugely. So did you ever watch that show 24? Unless we get Jack Bauer, Kiefer Sutherland to go over and like get her back. And that could take an entire oh season. God, 24. Right? I love that show. <laughs> it kind of, by about the sixth season, you're like, really? This keeps happening to you? Like, there was a little bit of that, but it was, uh, what a masterstroke. We were obsessed by it. Week at my wife and I, week after week after week after week. Just an obsession. Oh my goodness. Better, wow. than, all, better than all these reality shows. Better than all these uh, real housewives and survivors. I'll tell you that. <laughs> great to have you on. It's great to have a conversation. Really uh, appreciate uh, you making the time for uh, our audience today. Anytime. Thanks for having me. You got it. Uh, Sabrina Razak uh, joining us uh, from the University of Toronto. A great pleasure to have on our next guest. Uh, we'll go to uh, Johannesburg to find him there. The Africa correspondent for the Globe and Mail, Canada's national newspaper, is Jeffrey York. Jeffrey, it's great pleasure to have you on in Toronto. It's Greg Brady. Thanks for making the time for our audience. Good morning. How are you? I'm really good. Um, it, I'm sure it's been quite a week. I'm sure um, you couldn't foresee what the last seven days would be like and, and the coverage. When did you first get a feel that this was go- going to be quite a massive international news story and, and it would emanate from the country you're, uh, you're stationed in? Well, uh, you have to keep in mind that uh, South, African ha- South Africa has excellent scientists who are uh, have proven themselves to be expert in sequencing samples to find new variants. So, you know, if you recall, uh, about a year ago, uh, South Africa discovered the beta variant 
mm-hmm. of, uh, of COVID. Uh, and they were the first in the world to blow the whistle on that. Um, and so it's, it's known that the scientists here are very, very good at detecting these new variants. Um, and uh, as soon as they announced, uh, it was about a week ago, uh, just about eight days ago, when they announced uh, that they'd found this new variant and that it might be more transmissible or it might be more severe uh, with unknown implications at this point, it was clear from that point that it was going to affect the whole world. It's one of those scenarios as well where um, we've had our own, as you can imagine, in Canada, I wouldn't call them um, celebrity doctors, but we've had, you know, and I mean this in a positive way, they've made time for us, they've educated, not just you know me as a host, as you can imagine, but uh, our audiences. Um, and and I've, I've followed a lot now of Dr. Angelique Coetzee, who's the doctor who, in essence, alerted the world about this Omicron variant. She's been really adamant. She's written op-eds, she's done a lot of TV interviews, and, and she feels... There's just not nothing in the variant that warrants, you know, obviously we should be watching it, uh, being patient, understanding more about it. But she's kind of been critical of the extreme responses. Have you have you noticed that? And are there other epidemiologists, infectious disease specialists in South Africa, Jeffrey, that concur with her that they're a bit alarmed at all the panic across the planet? Um, actually, just the opposite. Most of the experts here are saying that it's too early to conclude uh, that the new variant is producing only mild symptoms. Mm-hmm. I mean, a do- uh, you know, uh, she, she is a doctor uh, who, who, who notices cases uh, that come into her clinic, uh, but she's not an epidemiologist, uh, and she, uh, she's not uh, an expert on infectious diseases as a scientist. And what people are, are saying is that, really, it's still too early to know if the new variant is going to produce more severe illness or not. Um, we, it's true that so far there's no indication of it. We're not seeing any evidence of it so far, but it's really too early to say that because these cases have only been emerging in the last few weeks and it takes several weeks for people to be hospitalized if they're sick. Um, so really it's still too early to know. We should know within the next week or two. And, you know, it is true that so far there's no evidence of greater severity, but there is something that came out, uh, just yesterday, which is this, this data now showing that the new variant is three times more likely to cause reinfection among people who were previously infected with the virus. So, you know, mm-hmm. we, we sort of had the idea that if you've been infected once with COVID, you're protected, you're immune. And that did seem to be the case with previous variants, that you had some level of immunity if you've been infected before. But what they're finding now with Omicron, and this is just emerging from South Africa for the first time, uh, it's it's the first data anywhere in the world on this, and they're finding that it is three times more likely to cause reinfection. Now, that's a big concern because there's a lot of countries in the world, uh, you know, for example, India, a lot of African countries, uh, a lot of the, the poorer countries where there are low rates of vaccination, right. but high rates of previous infection. Now, if previous infection doesn't help you, then they have to rely only on vaccination, and the vaccination rates are still very low basically because rich countries like Canada have been hoarding the vaccines. They ordered way too many last year, and it's been very difficult for low-income countries to get vaccines. Now they have to rely on vaccination, and it's just not there. They don't have the supply. Yeah, Jeffrey York's uh, joining us, Golden Mail, uh, Africa correspondent. I, I think you, I think you you describe and crystallize it perfectly, and that and that's what the, there's a divide here, as you can imagine, in North America and probably in Europe, from people saying, because we don't know, we should kind of keep calm and carry on. And then there's the counterpoint, which is if we don't know and, and we see a storm coming, the storm might hit us. It might pass us by, but we better plan. Let, let's, you know, let's build up some, some dikes. Let's, let's be a lot more careful. But as you can imagine, that's splitting people down the middle who are fully vaccinated, who feel protected, who feel their greatest immediate danger is over. And as you can imagine, it's causing quite a divide among the world, basically. Yeah, that's true. Everywhere in the world, there's a there's a argument about how to respond, and uh, you know one of the big issues has been uh, that so many of the rich countries, including Canada, have imposed travel bans only on African countries when there is increasing evidence that there is already community transmission, community spread yeah. of this new variant in a number of countries worldwide, including Europe. There was just new data today from Belgium where they started tracing the origin of these Omicron cases. And they found they were coming from places like the Czech Republic or Dubai 
uh, Egypt, not not from Southern Africa. Yeah, the the travel ban feels. Um just nuts right now it, it i guess the case could be made could it not that because you're right south africa has struggled with vaccines and yet they've been way better than a lot of their african counterparts in terms of some african countries are still for, for fully vaccinated jeffrey as you know i'm just telling the audience are still in the single digits they're eight or nine percent south africa is closer to 35 the government was hopeful it'd be at 70 by year's end they're not going to reach that we got 28 days left but i'd bring it up to say we don't know what omicron will or won't do in a in a fully vaccinated society you probably have seen we've had struggles in alberta here over the summer with the delta variant but they're 20 percent less vaccinated than ontario so ontario never became alberta delta really never really never overwhelmed any element of the fully vaccinated population but i know what a lot of people are saying better safe than sorry we better be aware of this yeah the, but if you take the better safe than sorry argument you would have uh, a travel ban on every country in the world. Yes. Uh, and, and I know some people are actually arguing that, but I don't think any country is an island. And, uh, you know, we're seeing cases popping up in Canada now, which means it's already seeded. It's already there. Mm -hmm. uh, travel bans have been shown to be perhaps a little bit slightly effective in the very early stages, uh, but they don't really provide much long-term benefit. And any benefit is really only in the early days before there is community transmission. Well, it seems to be community transmission in lots of countries now. Uh, so, you know, the travel bans uh, are, are very, very unlikely to have much significant impact. That's what all mm. the scientists and experts, global health experts are saying. Oh. Uh, I don't think we can disregard that. I don't think so either. I, I think that's a great point. I, we've, I've only got a minute, but are vaccines, are people now more enticed by vaccines like you're right about the problems early days and you're right about the rich countries hoarding them but are is there considerable demand amongst the south african population to get vaccinated asap and and are those supplies um th those are st a struggle right because the travel ban has prevented important supplies and, and medical uh me you know medical supplies from arriving there yeah, that's all very true. Um, th there is some uh, early evidence that vaccination has increased dr dramatically in South Africa this week. Uh, it, they're averaging about 165,000 new uh, people getting vaccinated every day. Last week, it was about 120,000. So, you know, we're looking at a 30, 35 percent mm. increase uh, compared to last week in vaccination in South Africa. Mm. Jeffrey York, uh, Globe and Mail correspondent in Africa. Thank you so much for your time. Really great insight. Uh, and, uh, and I do hope you stay safe and continue some fantastic journalism in your paper. Thanks again for the time. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Toronto Today podcast. Really do appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend, rate us as well. That's always helpful to know what we can do better for your listening pleasure. Have yourself a great weekend. Back with a live show Monday morning at 530.